waking up at 4am to bet on the uh, Australian football to then 6am to bet on the Chinese leagues going across the world as the sun goes betting from all hours of the day is such a waste of time like that's that's the message if I was in charge of safer gambling messages so to speak that would be it it'd be don't waste your time just don't waste your time doing this it's it's not going to give you anything and it's just not worth uh, your life revolving around it hello and welcome to the invisible addiction podcast if you're a new listener, hi, thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. And of course, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, I hope you've been keeping well. Shortly, we'll be hearing from one of the UK's leading campaigners who's tackling football's relationship with gambling. We'll also hear about his gambling addiction story. Before we go any further, I would like to make a short disclaimer and say that this is an informational podcast. If you're experiencing gambling problems, of course, I hope you relate to the stories you hear, but please do seek professional help. Links to that support can be found on the Invisible Addiction website, www.theinvisibleaddiction.com forward slash support. Right, without further ado, let's crack on with the podcast. Okay, so joining us on the other end of the line today is James Grimes from Manchester. He's come onto the podcast to share his gambling addiction story and to tell us more about his recovery and fantastic work with The Big Step, a campaign he founded to tackle football's relationship with gambling. I'm a huge fan of his and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome him onto the Invisible Addiction podcast. So James, thanks for joining us today. How are you, how are you doing? Pleasure, Alex. Um, I'm a long-time listener of the podcast, so uh, privileged to be on. Um, I'm really well, very busy trying to juggle a lot of things at once and uh, including in my personal life, which is all exciting and good, but um, yeah, pleased to be on and looking forward to getting into it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, before we kick off and, and get into your story as it were, but would you like to maybe just give a quick introduction about your background and experience where you grew up, et cetera, et cetera? Definitely. So you, you said I'm from Manchester, but people will probably be able to tell I'm not from Manchester. I only, Moved here in 2018, um, but I'm originally from Norfolk, a town called Downham Market, small little uh, town where everyone knew each other. Um, I was um, obviously massive, football was a massive part of my life as a, as a child. I went to watch Peterborough United every week, home and away for, what, 15 years? I remember once going to Carlisle United away on a Tuesday night and leaving school at midday to go. Our whole family went up in a Vectra, got back at 4am. We lost, obviously. So football was a massive part of my life, still is. Um, and yeah, when I was 15, 16, I had real big ambitions to be a football manager, which sounds quite silly. Um, but I was managing a team at 15. I did my level one, level two and eventually UEFA B coaching badges uh, by the time I was 17. And got jobs in football academies, uh, coaching at Sheffield United, Doncaster Rovers, Peterborough United. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I loved it, to be honest. I'm, I know we're going to come on to the gambling, so I won't touch on it too much. But it was one of the things that it took away from me that I look back at with a lot of regret because there was something about um, developing kids' ability at football that, that I 
if I say so myself, is relatively good at. Um, and we could see a career for myself in it. Not too late. You never know. I could get back into it now. Not I'm not old, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I had to, I had a really good upbringing. Um, school was good. Went to university. That's where it started to go a bit wrong gambling wise, but um, no complaints really. I'm fortunate to to have had the upbringing and the friends. I've still got the same group of friends I had when I was ten which I think is always a good sign. I think also a sign that you come from Norfolk. Actually, just on that note, um, I spoke to Ben from um, Kicking the Punt, who threw this one out there. He was like, do you think that James looks a bit like Ed Sheeran? Um, I don't know if <laughs> the similarities there with, with the look and the, the fact that you're from Norfolk. That, like, I, yeah, well, I used to walk through Downham Market and it's a very old town. Um, as in the population is very old and I'd get Ed Sheeran a lot but I'd also get Prince Harry as well oh. to a point where a, a woman uh, probably in her 90s came up to me in Barclays once and said oh your highness are you Prince Harry <laughs> um, unfortunately I'm not Prince Harry oh my god only in Norfolk would you get that sorry I, oh god, I'm offending you and I'm offending everyone from Norfolk I'm so sorry I'm so sorry. Not at all. We're, we're thick-skinned. We're a thick-skinned <laughs> bunch, so we, we don't take anything to heart. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, well, James, I mean, obviously, it'd be great to, to touch on the, the football coaching as well, but I don't know if this is going to weave into your story. But, um, yeah, gambling, how, how did it start for you? Um, it, it started in a bookies, in down the market. Uh, basically, we knew a group of friends, we knew the manager of the bookies. Uh, and it wasn't like he was doing rigorous age verification checks, to say the least. But I was I was drawn in by not necessarily the adverts on TV, actually, but the adverts in outside the bookies, which had pictures of footballers saying, come and have a bet. Um, and we did. And, you know, at 15, maybe it was 16, I can't quite remember, but it was around that period of time, year 11 of school. There's no way we should have been in the bookies. but you know as well as I do that does happen mm-hmm. um, and like most it just started by placing those small little bets on football um, I didn't have that big first win that people talk about a lot but I did I, I remember winning an accumulator for about 90 quid and I do remember thinking wow this is amazing why isn't everybody doing this look how easy it is to win money at football and it was always made worse for me because I'm arrogant. Well, <laughs> because I always thought that I knew football and especially because I was like that UEFA licensed coach and stuff. I was like, I know football. I can work it out. I can make money at this. And that was a recipe for disaster. And very quickly I was going to the bookies and my mates weren't anymore. And it was, and I was going at 9 PM at night. It wasn't like I was going after score after six form. I was going by myself. I was hiding behind the pillars in the bookies to make sure my friends and family didn't see me in there. And um, yeah, very quickly, life was revolving around gambling when I wasn't even legal age to do it, which was um, a big worry and causing um, a strain on my studies, a strain on my work, a strain on my career prospects. But, you, but just things as well, like I remember always being the one that was known to bottle a night out and looking back it was because I was I'd lost all my money I'm sure you can resonate with that as well it's uh yeah you just prioritize gambling over a lot of other things 
Mm, for sure, for sure. Um, was it just football betting that you were doing at this stage? Well, initially it was, but then it was pretty quickly onto the fixed odds betting terminals, mm. which remained a constant. I've heard you talk with loads of your guests about um, these, and you know, it's. I, I do struggle to look back and think what is the justification for those machines it, when they were a hundred pound a spin being in a bookies in in a small norfolk town in the middle of the day it's yeah i think sometimes when you take a step back from it all it's so ridiculous that we allowed that to happen and young people were caught in the crossfire um and i can't deny it and i'm not afraid to say it, i loved them i absolutely love playing them it gave something to my brain that not many other things has given to me um and it yeah as i said it remained a constant it was the last thing i ever gambled on and it was one of the first things i ever gambled on it was a fixed odds betting terminal and you know i work relatively closely with matt our cousin now and he was one of the leading figures in getting that stake reduced and i know that that would have saved lives and yeah for that extremely grateful mm. Absolutely, I remember it. Uh, I remember it well too. It literally, literally took me out of the bookies. Um, that that reduction. Um, was it? Was it? Yeah. What type of games were you playing on the the fixed odd betting terminals? Was it roulette or others? Yeah, roulette. Roulette was the. I don't. I don't know if you agree, but it was. It's just the purest form of gambling to me. It's just a thing that gets. Would have got. I sound like I'm selling <laughs> roulette to people here. <laughs> which is wrong, but that's just how powerful and how, um, how quickly you can get that buzz from it just mm. appealed to me more than anything else. And that's not to say I, I didn't in, enjoy, I didn't take part in other, in other forms of gambling as well. But when I needed that fix, it was, yeah, roulette on those machines, but also roulette in casinos and then eventually roulette online as well. Mm-hmm. So how did it... Um... How did it kind of develop for you? So if, if we look at the timeline, so this is a guess, you say, what, sort of 15, 16, early on in the bookies. Um, how did it progress? You said you went to university as well. Was this something you were, you, you know, you, you were betting uh, during this time as well? Yeah, university was an absolute nightmare, to be honest. I, I got there and I was a gambling addict when I got there, I think, looking back. Um, 18, had all those student grants, loans, supposedly free money and free time of course neither of it was free and I lost all my student loan and student grant the day I got it I lost all my bursary the day I got it and I spent weeks of uni um like begging my friends to lend me money begging my mum and dad to lend me money uh because I was just constantly skint and if I wasn't skint I was gambling and um it was combined with having uh, access to online gambling which just blew my mind i don't know if you feel the same but the the first the, the minute i realized i had this option to bet on anything in the world bet on roulette 24 hours a day i was just like this is everything that my brain is screaming out for me to do and i did unfortunately and i i genuinely during university was would roam around Sheffield. I went to Sheffield Hallam University. I'd roam around Sheffield for a couple of hours looking for 10Ps and 20Ps on the street just to go to the bookies to put an accumulator on to try and get food for the week. And, you know, I, I wasn't a stupid bloke. And I was, I was at university 
it's just crazy to the to the depths that it gambling takes you to. And not afraid to say as well that I had to go to the university because I was hungry. University gave me fifteen pound food vouchers to spend every week, and I had to bring them the receipt. If they'd have given me fifteen pound cash, hundred percent, I'd have gone down the bookies. But fortunately, they gave me vouchers. They didn't understand. I don't think they understood what a gambling addiction really was. I think they thought that it was just um, debt related that I was in there because of money. But actually, looking back, it would have been appropriate probably for them to refer me on to gambling addiction support treatment, which they didn't. So as much as I was grateful for the money for the food, I do feel like there was a massive intervention there missing where someone should have spotted the signs and um, signposted me to the right person. Did they, how did they find out? I, I went in, well, I probably went to seven lectures in three years at university. So the tutors um, would, were raising concerns about my attendance. And, and eventually I just had to say to them, I, I ain't got no money for the bus. I can't get in. I haven't got no money for food. I'm just not in a place to come in. Um, and then at one, at the tutor recommended me to this student support service. But Gambling, it was never, it never felt like I was opening up about my gambling addiction. I was just telling them that I've got no money and I spend a lot of money on gambling. It wasn't seen as this mental health problem or this addiction. Um, it was very financial related. And I, I honestly have no idea how I got a degree from university because I'm not exaggerating when I say I went to seven lectures. I was in groups that I never turned up to. I was just in bed gambling most of the time. And somehow I got a 2-2, um, which, yeah, I mean, I could have done so much better, but I suppose I shouldn't complain. Well, um, so what did you study? Was it, was, it football, was it football coaching? No, it was sport business management, um, which is another thing I, I regret in a way because I was doing relatively well at football coaching and I thought this would back that up if you know to, to work in the football field it'd be good to have a sport-based qualification but in hindsight I wish I'd have just persevered with coaching specifically because I came out of university I was in exactly the same situation I'm sure many people out there listening can resonate with this it's you feel like when you finish university you're going to get these amazing opportunities but actually a lot of yeah. the time you're back at square one but just with a lot of debt um, and yeah I, I carried on coaching I was coaching at Sheffield United during university both in their girls centre of excellence and their boys development centre and then got a job working for Doncaster Rovers Academy um, which was amazing they put a lot of faith and trust in me they paid for loads of qualifications but the the whole time it was just completely tarnished because I was at games sometimes um, at under nines academy games and I was betting on football on my phone and it was just like what a waste of an opportunity looking back now but um yeah i i don't know it's um it's sad but i suppose i do believe all these things happen for a reason probably gets me to the point where i am today Mm. Mm. did um i mean you know you don't have to share this but was was it because of the gambling maybe you you came out of the coaching or what what happened there yeah I'd, i'd say so i think basically gambling took away all the motivation that I had to do anything else in my life. And that extends to my personal life as well. I never really, I didn't really have a proper relationship. Um, my, my socializing with friends would be diminished because of it. And with work, 
I just it wasn't my sole focus. My sole focus was getting the next bet on. And that's not to say that I couldn't succeed at the same time in that field, but it's very difficult when your brain is completely set on doing this thing to give time for anything else, as I'm sure you know yourself. And um, yeah, it, it did ruin it. And once again, there was people at the clubs that I worked at that knew that I probably had a gambling addiction but didn't really know what to do or what to say. It was just very much like, oh, it's James, he likes a bet. Or they'd show me their bets for the weekend and be like, oh, you're, you're, you like a bet, James, you can help us with this. And that didn't help. But I don't think that's their fault. I think that's the, the narrative, especially in football, as I know that you've touched on with some of your guests before, that it's just, there's this culture that it's an innocent thing. Everybody's doing it. You have to have a bet on to watch the football. Um, and the addiction is not treated in the same um manner as as other addictions in football no totally totally um yeah i've I've spoken to a couple of other people as well who's like mentioned about football uh work at football clubs it's a big part of the culture there and and like you say the the rate of um sports people that uh you know highly likely to or more likely to get into to gambling problems and stuff um yeah it's definitely definitely very uh very prevalent um so I suppose this is quite a difficult question because I've heard you speak about this on another podcast and other, other um, times you've shared your story, but there was a real, there was a real kind of dark moment where I think, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you sw- was it you switched off your phone for like, you just sort of lost contact with everyone deliberately. Could you, could you perhaps just talk, us, talk, talk to us about that? Yeah. Um, so weirdly, I've I told that I've told that story quite a lot and it never really got to me but um as of this year I've been starting to get um like counseling once every couple of weeks which has been amazing and really helpful and since then the first time that I told that story I could barely get through it it was really weird it was like something different it, I was approaching it in a different sense and I think I've just become so desensitized to my own story because I've said it so many times I forgot how bad things was um and sorry that's just my cat going across screen <laughs> uh, good timing Oscar um but so maybe a, a bit of a build-up before that moment was life was pretty bad um I lost my dad in 2013 and that was definitely it was a traumatic few weeks and it was definitely a trigger for my gambling to get even worse um and then the the uh, five years following that was just it was like proper deep addiction where my life was going nowhere it was well it was it was going to this inevitable moment where I had to make a choice either you live with gambling or you don't live and it was building to that moment I think I knew it was building to that moment as well but constantly in denial as I'm sure you know as well you, you don't like hearing or accepting that you've got an addiction um Payday loans were increasing. My, I was, I was self-employed, but wasn't getting any work. Um, I was living between um, an EasyJet hotel and my granddad's house, um, and yeah, things were just—they got to that point where, yeah, it just. So I, I had the the long story of it is I had a a five hundred pound debt where the bailiff was going to come round the next day um, to get the money. And I'd just been paid from my self-employment work 
and uh, my gambling brain told me as i'm sure that you know all too well the best way of getting that money is to gamble of course gambling was the thing that got me into that situation in the first place and i was living in um huddersfield at the time and so i took so I took, went to the bookies took 500 pound out in cash and put it on an in-play football bet and it lost within about 30 seconds um and then i went to the bank again took all the money out took it back to the bookies three different bookies in huddersfield in the space of 20 minutes i lost all of that money on playing roulette the stakes are increasing i don't remember the bets i don't remember i don't really remember putting the notes in the machine it was a proper out-of-body experience and it wasn't even you know two thousand pounds a lot of money but it's not like life-changing money but it wasn't about the money then it was just like right it doesn't matter what i do everything in my life revolves around doing this i have no control over my actions life's going nowhere and it was a proper like yeah pit of misery i went i went home to that i was in a 15 bedroom house in huddersfield and i was in a windowless room in a basement and um i was supposed to go into work i didn't go found out that um i'd lost that work and just turned my phone off as you said um probably was suicidal um didn't didn't speak to anyone i didn't eat um yeah it was a real awful moment and i just i had no hope basically no hope no help i couldn't see a way out couldn't imagine a life with gambling or without it anymore and uh yeah it was horrible however um something did happen in that room which was i watched a documentary about a guy called Tony O'Reilly mm. and uh yeah that that seemed to be my trigger point but maybe maybe not it's hard to put my finger on what exactly changed but that that definitely helped but I just you know as I said I've shared my story quite a lot um and I do sometimes forget how bad it was in that moment I wanted the whole world to swallow me up I just didn't want to be there anymore and I think you know, we get lost sometimes when we when we talk about the politics and the media and we talk about big questions like this. But actually, on a day-to-day basis, there's thousands of people out there today that are feeling like that James was three years ago. And that just breaks my heart because I know how bad that was. And that's, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, to be honest, to just prevent any kid getting to that, to that point. Mm. Wow. Yeah, no. Sorry, bit bit speechless there. Um, I I definitely agree. It's um, it, it you can become sort of desensitised to your own story, or um, you can sort of very quickly try and park it back in a you know a, a distant memory, and you try and move on with your life. Which, yeah. Um, when when you say you watched Tony O'Reilly's documentary, I've not actually seen it by the way, but obviously I know how great a guy he is. He does his own podcast, the Problem Gambling Podcast, and things. Um, what's what spurred you to, well, I know, I say what spurred you to, to, to search for that, but at that point, were you Googling for help or what was going through your, through your mind? That's a good question. Um, I was just completely feeling desperate and sorry for myself. And I think I was looking for any form of distraction. Do you know what? I've just remembered what I was doing. I was watching live videos of people playing roulette that's how bad it was. I was just, 
I've, I've never thought about that before until you asked that question. And that's exactly what I was doing. And then I, what must have happened was because I was searching those videos, that addiction documentary must have come up. And then I watched it. It's not on YouTube anymore. It's been taken down. But it's for I said Tony O'Reilly's name without any context whatsoever for anyone that doesn't know. He was a Irish. He is an Irishman, uh, a postman that um, had a gambling addiction, stole money from the post office to to feed his addiction. And um, yeah, his story is incredible. He's got a book called Tony Ten, and uh, I think it just I think that story was the first time that I realized this is not entirely my fault. The way I feel like this isn't all self-inflicted. Of course, I take responsibility for a lot of it. But actually, not at any point did a gambling operator intervene. They encouraged me with VIP schemes. They promoted these addictive products across every area of my life, be it in university, be it through football, be it on TV. You know, at, at some point, if you hold all that responsibility on you, that's where the that's where suicide happens, in my opinion, and and that's why it's so important that. As I know it sounds negative to constantly talk about the role of the gambling industry, but by doing so, it will save lives because people can't have all that responsibility on their shoulders, and Tony didn't. Tony's story was very much he took responsibility for his actions, of course, and there's no excuse for crime. However, he talked about the role of the gambling company that played such a big part in his addiction, which fed him with free bets, which put him on a VIP scheme, which never checked on his affordability or well-being. And that's what was happening to me. And at that moment, I realized, right, I don't want to give another penny to that industry. They facilitated this and got me to, helped me get to this point in my life where I didn't want to live anymore. And I don't, I don't, they don't... They don't deserve another penny of my money or any more of my time. And from that moment on, it's not like I've had a, a, a bitterness or want revenge against the gambling industry. I just want the people that are struggling to know it's not your own fault. It's not all your own fault. A lot of the reason this is happening to you is because of addictive products, predatory practices, inadequate health messaging, unfortunately before the NHS clinics, inadequate treatment. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I do. What I, why I do what I do. And I spoke to Tony O'Reilly on his podcast, and it was the first time I've ever spoke to him face to face. And I've got proper emotional. Mm. Um, it was mm. it was weird because it, it it took me back. It took me back to that moment, and uh, I'm eternally grateful for his story and the way he offered hope in my darkest of hours. Mm. Definitely, definitely. I think um, I think I think in my case, actually, I can resonate with a lot with what you just said there. Um, in a way it wasn't about yes of course it was about the money but it's, it was the time I was like I'm fed up of spending hours every day or most days like doing this activity like when I could just be spending my time elsewhere so um, yeah have you um, have you looked through your history of online gambling at any point have you had your SARS do you know what I've not done it I've not done it no no it's um, it's it's the, the reason I ask is because you say about the time that's when I look through mine, I've had three from different companies now. I don't look at the figures. It's the time, like waking up at 4 a.m. to bet on the uh, Australian football. So then 6 a.m. to bet on the Chinese leagues. Going across the world as the sun goes, betting from all hours of the day. It's such a waste of time. Like that's, 
that's the message. If I was in charge of safer gambling messages, so to speak, that would be it. It'd be don't waste your time. Just mm. don't waste your time doing this. It's it's not going to give you anything, and it's just not worth uh, your life revolving around it. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit later. But so, James, can you tell us maybe like what the first steps of recovery were? Was it was that immediately after this 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 period where you're where you know you're at home, as it were? Yeah. So so the incident with the fixed odds betting terminals happened on the fifth of April, which is my birthday, incidentally. So that was a good birthday, one to remember. Um, and then so three days after that, where I was just yeah in an awful place uh, was say April the eighth. I think I watched that documentary, and I had like a click moment. I can't put my finger on it, but it, it just put something in me that realised I didn't want to do this anymore. And um, it was hard. It's not like just because you have that click moment, all your problems go away at all. I'm sure you know, just because you stop gambling doesn't mean that life's infinitely better straight away either. But um, I did feel quite empowered. And first thing I did was I rang my mum. So my mum took the brunt of my addiction throughout 12 years to the point where she had guarantor loans that didn't pay back and that affected her credit score and the constant lies and the worry that she must have had because of it. Um, and yeah, just for the first time I said to her, mum, I'm struggling. This is not about the money. I don't want any money. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with mental health. Like I've been in such a bad way the last three days. She'd obviously been worried because I'd not answered my phone, the phone had been off, etc. And I just felt really good saying what it was doing to my brain and not just what it was doing to my wallet. And it was a relief. Um, I then we agreed that she would have control of all my bank, uh, my bank statements and um, she'd have access to online banking, which was massive. That gave me a layer of accountability. It's pretty embarrassing at 28 years old that your mum's got to look after your money, but it's what I needed. Um, so I was grateful for that. And then I did exactly the same conversation with my best friends. Um, I did the same conversation with the people I worked with and I realized it was it, it was every single time I was open about what it had done to my brain it gave me more ammunition to not go back to that place and you know what some of those people I, at the time I owed two three thousand pounds to and hadn't paid back in months and they were not speaking to me but the minute I was honest and open about what had happened to me and where I was in that place I was then, um, they they were great. Not one turned their shoulder. Everybody um, helped me, supported me. And for that as well, I'm always extremely thankful. And those people are the people that come on the big step walks with me to this day. And it, that's why it means a lot to me to see them on those walks. And um, yeah, just being being open with myself, being open with other people, and then I started, so I suppose after that, you know, you've got all this euphoria of like, wow, my life's changed. I'm going to be better now. Gambling's gone. But then you have to deal with all the practicalities, which are the fact that you're skint, you've got no food, you've got no job, etc. cetera. Um, but those things were so much easier to sort out without gambling than they ever were with gambling. And once again, people helped, people supported. I replaced gambling with meaningful activities. I started jogging started playing football again three times a week. I started socializing more and all those things that are just neglected helped my recovery in those early months. And, you know, the first 
six weeks, I struggled. I don't think I watched football because I, was, I struggled to watch it without a bet on. And quite conveniently, the timing-wise, two months after that was the 2018 World Cup, the England World Cup, which we got to the semi-finals. And I remember when Harry Kane scored the winner against Tunisia in the first game, very last, one of the last kicks of the game. Um, I was struggling to watch it because I, I wanted to bet on it. But when he scored that goal, I jumped up and celebrated. And I was like, for the first time, I realised that I love football again. And I don't love it because of the gambling. So that World Cup was perfect for me because it just made me realise I can love football again. Mm. Um, and then from then on, it's just been a, it's been a case of dedicating myself to um, reform and understanding more about the issue and the industry, but also, you know, life has, um, in every area of my life, life has improved since I stopped gambling. That does make it easier to, to stay stopped, I guess. Yeah. Did you, did you, um, I mean, in my case, I've never done GA, Gamblers Anonymous, but did you, did you try that? I, I know you've said you've kind of recently got private counselling, but was it just literally just you on your own doing this or how did that, how did that Yeah, I mean, work? I, I feel like willpower is a dirty word. And it, it, you know, it's not something that I'd want to tell kids. I wouldn't want to say that if you become a gambling addict, the only way to get out of it is willpower because for some people, the, the other side of that, Unfortunately, is suicide, but I didn't have any uh, uh, professional support or treatment. Um, I once rang the GamCare National Helpline about a year before I stopped gambling, and I hate to say this, but they told me, "Have you tried moderating your gambling?" And my response was, uh, "No, I haven't tried that." <laughs> but in all seriousness, that sort of thing is a worry, and I hope that's not the case now. Um, yeah and I didn't take it have any support therapy until very recently and that I think to be honest that's more of a reflection of lockdown and um, a few other bits and pieces not necessarily related to gambling but it's allowed me to rake through my past a bit more in a bit more detail and it's it's has really helped and if I was gambling now I know that the, the NHS Northern Gambling Service I know that you spoke to Matt on here before and the Problem Gambling Clinic in London um, alongside Gamban and Gamstop, there's a lot more now for people. So it is easier than it's ever been to stop. But in a sense, it's harder than it's ever been because the products are still addictive, the checks aren't there, and the, the advertising is still everywhere. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm I'm now nearly three years without gambling, and amazing. yeah, two months' time will be uh, three years. That's amazing. That's amazing. So James, let's talk about how you got involved with the big step. So um, yeah, how did it all start? So I've got a history of doing ludicrous charity challenges. I once organised a uh, 54-hour five-a-side football game. Wow. Guinness World Record. Wow. Um, and I took part in it as well. And it was honestly the hardest thing that I've ever done. I did you do, do it straight? Did you do it straight through? Yeah. yeah we all we had was so we all we had was every hour we had a five minute break and we had two subs on each team and the subs were allowed to sleep for about an hour every oh six hours you should have seen the last couple of hours of football it was like uh snowmen basically <laughs> just static um but yeah I've, I've always liked putting my body through things like that and 
six months into my recovery, um, I was getting annoyed by the fact that football was promoting the, these uh, brands that I associated with so much harm. And I just felt it was unfair. It wasn't even about the kids' argument at that stage. It was just, for me, selfishly, I didn't want to watch football and see so many uh, gambling companies on the shirts and around the pitch when I was trying to not do that thing. Mm. Um, and then, coincidentally, I was, um, I was looking after my granddad's caring for him, and he got the Daily Mail, not a paper that I would buy. Um, he... Uh, in that paper, there was a story uh, about Jack Ritchie, who is Charles and Liz Ritchie's from Gambling with Life's son, who sadly took his own life in 2017, and obviously instantly resonated with me. And that day, I got in touch with Gambling with Life and said, I've got this idea. I want to walk to football clubs that have gambling sponsors and try and get them to review their relationship. And I want to call it rambling for safer gambling. Mm. And they came back very supportive saying, excellent idea. What can we do to help you? Um, we'd be honored to, to have it as a gambling with lives thing, but we don't like the name and a few emails back and forth. And eventually we agreed on the big step, which I think in hindsight was a good decision. Um, I don't know. I quite, I quite like, I quite like rambling for gambling. Yeah. You're the first person that's ever said that. I just think <laughs> it would look too long on the t-shirts and hoodies, I think. That's true. That's true. I think, um, it's, I think it's only because I end up rambling. I think it's because it probably speaks volumes <laughs> for me, really. So, yeah. i tell you what, Alex, you can, you can rename the podcast Rambling for Safe Gambling <laughs> if you want. There we go. You can have there that. Yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> only five ninety nine per annum. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll take you up on that offer. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so we we started planning the first big step in June, 2019. And that was to walk to eight Northern based clubs that had gambling shirt based sponsorship. And that went really well. And it was only going to be a one-off fundraising walk for gambling with lives. I remember we raised 4,000 pounds and I was absolutely buzzing. I was so pleased with that. And um, it went, it went that well that I realized that there was support out there from the public there'll support out there within sport there'll support out there with other people harmed by gambling to carry on doing them and so we did so we just turned it into a, a full-time campaign and since then we've had three events we're about to have our fourth we've partnered with football clubs we've handed a signed letter to Downing Street we've launched a petition done a lot of media appearances um just constantly banging the drum that you know Gambling advertising sponsorship in football was one of my ways into gambling. I know it is for so many people still today. It's created that culture that we talked about earlier where football doesn't take the issue seriously. And the reality is for all those um, things that I just listed then about what we've done in that time, a kid will be watching a football match tonight on TV and they'll see adverts just as much as I did when I was 15, 16, which was 15 years ago. So sometimes it doesn't feel like we've made progress as much as the work we've put into it. We only see tokenistic changes and that's why we've got to keep doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So what would you, so is it, is it fair to say that you would like to see football end its relationship with gambling? Yeah. I, do you know what? It's not like I want to see a complete end to the relationship between 
football and gambling because that encompasses so many things. But what I want to see is an end to all gambling promotion in football. I see little justification for promoting products like online slots and casinos, which have sometimes addiction rates of 50% in front of a Premier League audience, which is estimated 25% of them are kids. So it just doesn't make sense. Well, I think we'll look back one day like we do at tobacco and think, how did we ever allow this to happen? And yeah, when we say an end to gambling, advertising, sponsorship in football, that includes um, branding on the, uh, around the pitch, on the stadium name, the league sponsorship name, social media promotion, club website branding, footballers endorsing gambling as well, which is particularly dangerous in my opinion. And yet it encompasses all of that. And I think whilst we have a, a, an industry that is causing harm and the products aren't safe and the messaging is not adequate, to me there's no justification for promoting it through our national sport. Why do you think, why do you think it's, it's got like this? I think regulation has allowed gambling companies to uh, advertise wherever they want without real restrictions. I think football is addicted to gambling money. I think football has a complete lack of imagination um, generally when it comes to sponsorship and advertising revenues. It, it's pretty, it shows how um, lazy they are that uh, 36 clubs in the top two divisions have a gambling sponsor or partner. It's just become so easy and it's become so normal that clubs will say yes to it. And you know what? If you're, if you're a marketing manager or a commercial manager at a football club and your job is to get as much revenue into that club as possible, why would you say no to something that's complying with regulation? So I don't actually put the blame entirely on football clubs. A lot of the reason this is happening is because the regulation has allowed gambling companies to promote these products wherever, however, and to whoever, unfortunately. And young people are the collateral damage of that. We've we spoke to probably 20 plus football clubs in the last two years since we've been doing this and not one has ever been really wanting to be sponsored by a gambling company. No one ever comes out and is proud of that sponsorship arrangement. They do it purely because of the money. And in an ideal world, if it wasn't there, they, they wouldn't do it. It's just because it's on the table that they're allowed to do it. And whilst gambling companies are allowed to be one of the highest bidders, they, they will be, unfortunately. But it's just, it's completely against the ethos of what football should be. Football is, is a thing that's rooted in its community. It's a fans game. And this is an industry that extracts money from communities, usually the poorest communities as well, and puts a fraction of that back into football to just increase their customer base. It's, it's a toxic relationship that's causing harm. And, you know, we, we can encourage football all we want. And I've tried, trust me, I've tried talking to football clubs, but they're blind to the harm. They don't see the harm in their communities because they'd rather see the pound signs coming in on their bank balance from these gambling companies. And that's the tragic truth. And that's why we focused our efforts in the last few months on making it part of the Gambling Act review and government actually taking this out of football's hands. I was going to say, just on that note, actually, um, sorry, a couple of things have sprung to mind. I mean, I know you've done some good work with Tranmere Rovers and Swansea City as well. So, um, I, th those are two. Am I correct in saying those are two clubs that are sort of compliant with, with you know, without the gambling? 
sponsors. Yeah, so so they, they actively work with us to raise awareness of gambling harms, but also support the campaign in general. They don't take gambling sponsorship money. But there are other clubs that we're not partnered with who do do it. Luton Town have been quite explicit in saying no. There's also lower league clubs like Lewis FC who wore gambling with lives on the front of their shirt and Headingley FC that do the same as well. But yeah, I think that number will grow. I think they are starting to see the harm in their community. Um, and we'd encourage all football clubs to do as much as they can, even whilst this sponsorship exists, to raise awareness of the harms and signpost their fans to the relevant support and treatment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, so um, sorry, yeah. The second thing I was going to sort of mention was the gambling app review because, for me, like, it we can blame the football clubs or we can blame the operators and such like, but it, the buck has to stop for me at the regulation. Like that's where it's coming from, in my opinion. So, um, I mean, time of recording for the listeners' benefit. This is uh, end of February, and we're now very close to the deadline um, for for the gambling app review. Um, I spoke to Jack Simmons actually was a guest on the podcast and he thinks it might be actually quite a sprawling review that needs to be quite agile but um yeah what are your thoughts on the gambling app review what would you like to see uh, be kind of cleaned up quote unquote um yeah what are your thoughts I, I, if i'm being honest without sounding negative i was quite disappointed um when it first got announced it was all the premise of it was all 50 percent of the population gamble responsibly but we have to protect those that are vulnerable and I just think that's such a poor way of starting what should be a public health issue. The way they should have started the gambling act review is everybody is vulnerable to gambling addiction and a public health approach must um, entail all of these things. But it's using that responsible gambling narrative, unfortunately, that, you know, in the nicest possible way, the gambling industry is not part of the jury during this gambling act review. They're on trial. The reason we've got to this point is because they've exploited regulation to make obscene profits and harm so many people on the way. Um, the initial stage of the review, there was a lot of talk about the black market, um, which was disappointing. It's not to say it's not an issue, obviously, but you know, as, as I'm sure you spoke to as well, we spoke to a lot of people that have, that have had problems with gambling and neither haven't met any that have had it started by the black market it's it's the regulated market that's causing this harm so i'm hoping that's been put to bed a bit and we can concentrate on the the key issues which for me obviously through the big step is gambling advertising and sponsorship um i think also alongside that we look, have to look at advertising more broadly as well um not just in football but the the big one is making the product safer i think whilst you have something in your pocket that you can spin £2,000 every uh, half an hour or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's too dangerous. It's the precautionary principle must be applied. And I'd like to see more stuff about the messaging as well. All we have at the moment, I know that Danny Cheatham talked about this with you on your podcast, was um, how there's, a, there's an advert at the moment where it says, have you tried setting an alarm before you start gambling? It's just not sufficient. It's just not good enough. There's so much money in the gambling space. Where are the brains to come up with better, more effective public health messaging? Because stuff like that's just not sufficient. I I, I totally agree. Totally agree. And the 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 tap was it the tap out campaign as yeah. well that was was pretty lauded. Um, yeah, I I think for me. The, the, the safer gambling rhetoric i mean it, it's just preposterous like you see it around the side of the football pitches um in amongst of course the hundreds of uh you know 
gambling adverts, as it were, um, scene. Um, you know, stay in control, play responsibly. Like that is just it's just absurd because we both know. Well, I certainly, from my experience, like whenever you would see a safer gambling pop up on the screen or like set your limits or whatever it'd just be like close 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 like get off and in fact actually i spoke to mike um from i forget his surname but from the big step who um oh yeah uh was was right at the front from sheffield um that by the way ryan from all bets are off was like you know <laughs> you had this whole opportunity to go to the big step event and speak to like a bunch of people and, and you decided to speak to like just stay at the front with two guys that haven't experienced a gambling addiction but um <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna talk to you about this, <laughs> this you you arrived to the to the big step in september uh you kindly held lots of people's bags in your room we went out for a drink and then we never saw you again because you were just at the front for the whole event <laughs> with two people that have no experience of gambling harm <laughs> I, do you know what? I really missed a trick. Uh, trick. I felt terrible. Ryan did pull me up on that. And, um, and he, I remember he even asked at Coventry, he was like, dude, like, do you want to come and walk with, with me, and, me and James? And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm just going to just, just head to the front. Yeah, it's just, um, have you ever watched Dumb and Dumber uh, with the film? I don't think I have, no. Oh, right. Well, I don't know. Maybe the listeners have. But right at the end of the film, Dumb and Dumber, is with Jim Carrey. Uh, they're right, there's this opportunity right at the end. And... Um, they're in the middle of nowhere in America and this coach pulls up full of hot women, frankly. And they're like, yeah. we, we're just looking uh, for like directions to X, Y, or Z. And both Jim Carrey and the, his, his, you know, the other guy basically need a lift back to the town. And they waste this opportunity because they're like, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's that way. Um, and then they pull back up uh, the coach and they're like, oh, we're actually looking for like two uh, masseuses. Like, do you want to do it? And they're like, oh, well, not really, not really. Um, so, yeah. So, you, uh, so you're saying that Ryan is one of those hot women? Yeah. This, yeah. this is what you're indicating here. Where's this going? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mind. Um, but in, in all seriousness, yeah. I hope you agree that that day was amazing. Yeah, it was. Even though you, even though you didn't see most of them, to have that many people harmed by gambling all doing this one silly walk from... Was it Coventry to Leicester that day? That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was yeah. just, it was extremely humbling. I was just, I was overwhelmed by emotion by the end of it. I couldn't believe that many people had turned out for this cause. And hopefully it'll be replicated. Uh, we've got our event in March and I'm sure this might go out after, but we've got our event March the 6th and 7th. Um, and then in June, we'll be having what will be our biggest event yet. Can't talk too much about it at the moment, but it will be, it's going to be big and I'm hoping to have as many people harmed by gambling as possible take part. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, in fact, I haven't told you this, but uh, I'm just about to upload finally the, the, all the vlogging material that I got from, from that event in September. And um, I completely echo your comments. Like it was really, really overwhelming. And um, I mean, God, I only did that day. I don't know how you did all those days, like your feet and all the aches and the pains and stuff. Yeah. I oh, know it's, uh, it, I think I get through it on adrenaline, basically. And I think I distract myself with all the other bits that you have to do on the walk, like the updating of social media, the media, dealing with questions about where the parking space is going to be. And for that is a good distraction to what I'm actually doing to my feet, which is destroying it. Bob and Mike, who you walked with, they're, they're the only two people that have done the, every single mile with me on the big step in all three events. I've known Bob since I, I played football with Bob when I was five years old. Um, so a really good friend, but they are absolutely 
rapid that you must have oh, been yeah. walking at about I don't know. I think you did twenty five miles in about five hours. It was ridiculous. Oh mate, I I, I literally had to jog at times to catch up with him. I and, wow. and bear in mind these guys had done three days of solid walking prior to this. Like yeah. I was just I was dumbfounded because I remember we we'd gone for that drink the night before and uh, at the pub. Um, the really early like closing time as well, which was really off-putting. Um, how weird is it even now to think we could we were in a pub? Like, oh my god! Um, we, and we got told off because Nick Phillips and the, an EBE he uh, he joined us, and we weren't allowed to swap yeah. tables at that point. So you had to stay exactly on your table and get told <laughs> off. Yeah, we did, didn't we? We did. And um, I just remember speaking to Mike and Bobby, and we're like, "What was your tactics?" And they were. They were like, oh, we're just going to try and get it done as quick as we can to get to watch the Chelsea-West Brom game. Um, do you remember That's that? Spirit. that? West Brom were 3-0 up, at like, yeah, within, within no time at all. But, uh, yes, I think I do. But yeah. They, uh, yeah, I think sometimes they lose the, the point of the event, which is not just to walk as quickly as possible <laughs> yeah. to the next ground. It's uh, to <laughs> encourage yeah. conversation and yeah. spread the message. But no, I'm really grateful to anyone that takes part. Um, it means a hell of a lot because when I initially planned it, it was just going to be me doing it. And at our latest count for our March event, we're on over 120 participants. So pretty amazing. I'm extremely grateful. That's really amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so just to wrap up, like a couple of questions. Are you OK for time? Are you yeah, okay? sure. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, um, I mean, just on that note, like where can people find you for, for the big step and how can they get involved if they're interested? Yeah, so if you search um, The Big Step on Google, it should come up um, with our website and Twitter, which is at the underscore big step. We have our petition, which we always need signatures and shares on that, which is change.org forward slash end gambling ads in football. And we always encouraging people to take part in our events. As I said, we, we've got an event coming up in June, which we'll provide more information about probably in April time and we want as many people as possible to take part. So just get in touch. Happy to have anyone represent the big step, take our message far and wide because gambling advertising is still happening. Football is still complicit in this harm and we need it to change. Definitely. Definitely. So final question, what would you advise if you could go back in time, what would you advise a young James Grimes? Big question. I would, advise him not to step foot in that bookies i would advise him to concentrate more on the things that brought me genuine enjoyment in my life and not this manufactured enjoyment through a machine or through a betting slip and that would be focusing on my coaching and focusing on my friends and my university studies and it would be to try and critically analyze what you were seeing. When I saw these adverts in football, I would like to tell that young James, go and do some research about gambling addiction rates, go and do some research about how much money the gambling industry makes, go and do some research about, you know, how many people are being harmed at that time, let alone now. And I think I would have been switched on enough to to not fall into the trap. But you know, this can happen to anyone. I wasn't vulnerable. I wasn't you know, I had no other problems in my life whatsoever. And I just had this contact, I suppose, this random contact with gambling that ended up destroying most parts of my life. And yeah, it's, uh, I would encourage all young people to, 
I can't I can't stand here and tell young people not to gamble because that would be silly and naive. And we speak to young people and we never say that, but we say, do everything you can to understand the risks involved. Do everything you can to understand the true technicalities of gambling products and how they're designed to make profit and designed to cause addiction. James, it's an, been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, thank you so much for for yeah coming on the podcast and sharing your story. It's been um, it's been awesome. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Alex. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It means an awful lot that you've taken time out of your day to listen. It really does. Thank you very much. So, yeah, what part of the podcast could you relate to the most? Like James, did you get into betting with a football accumulator? Did you then move on to playing the roulette machine in the bookies, the dreaded shredder? Uh, were you betting online on football matches at all hours of the day on Australian football, like James says? Yeah, I was. I was. Let me know. Let's start a conversation. Feel free to drop us a comment on YouTube, message on social media, or get in touch with me confidentially via email, info at theinvisibleaddiction.com. So in the next episode of The Invisible Addiction, I'll be speaking to a former bookie, someone who's worked behind the counters and experienced what it's like on the other side of the fence, so to speak. So um, he's, going to be in, he's going to be sharing his stories and experiences. Really looking forward to that one. Uh, I met him on the Big Step Walk um, alongside James. Um, yeah, really looking forward to sharing that one with you. Finally, I'd like to say a massive thank you to the sponsors of this episode, Talk Band Stop which is a partnership between Gamcare, Gamban and Gamstop. And they combine practical tools with the support to help you stop gambling and kickstart your recovery journey. It all starts with a chat. In the meantime, thanks so much again, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care and I'll speak to you soon.